Peter weeping bitterly in this account we hear, don't we? Weeping into hands that have been roughened by fishing, by salt water, by nets for, for, for many, many years. And there he is with his tear-stained face weeping into these roughened hands. Yeah, this is the one who had declared so confidently, wasn't it? Even if all fall away on account of you, I will never fall away. And yeah, of course, as the story unfolds, him exactly, that's exactly what he does. Not denying him just once, not twice, but three times. And what does that mean for us? Well, as I said, we're beginning this new Lenten season, and uh, over the next few weeks we're going to be journeying like Jesus towards Jerusalem, towards the cross, listening over these weeks to the many voices that speak out, voices like tonight of denial, voices of doubt, revelation, voices of faith, voices of deception, voices of betrayal. And as I said, tonight we're beginning, we've heard already the voice of, of Peter. It, it's a really solemn passage. It's, I'm sure it's really familiar to most of us. Um, it, but it's a really painful passage, really, when you think about what's going on. Jesus has only a few, um, few hours before told Peter that he was going to deny him. Peter protests, insisting that though everyone else might desert Jesus, he never would. And Jesus makes clear in that moment when he says this to Peter. You can only imagine it, sitting in the upper room, as he looks at Jesus. You know, what would have been in Jesus' eyes in that moment? Through eyes of pain, but through eyes of love, he says to Peter, you are going to deny me. Before the sun rises, you'll deny me three times. And so for, for us, for me, what is this passage? Well, it's not just an account of someone's failure, is it? It must speak to us. And I think for me, tonight's message, it's not a comfortable one because it's a message about sin. But it's also a message about grace and a message about repentance. The reality of iniquity, iniquity. I'm going to talk about that word. It's a funny word. What does that mean? But it's a, it's a, this, this passage is all about iniquity, but it's also the mystery of mercy and the centrality and the real importance of repentance and sometimes that's something we don't look, perhaps look at enough. It's, it, all of that is encapsulated and demonstrated in Peter's life. Tonight we hear Peter's voice but I think we need to recognise our own voice in this whole area as well. You can read about it in different accounts. Tonight we heard from, from Luke. You can read about it in Matthew 26. Let me read to you. Um, this is from verse 31. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But even after I've been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter replied to him, Even if they all fall away of you because of you, I'll never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you this very night, before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. All the disciples said the same thing as well. It's a really familiar story. And I want to begin by saying, you know, we read, we read this story knowing kind of the whole picture, the whole pattern, what happens to Peter. But I want to start with saying, I think Peter really did love Jesus. I don't think this was just bluster and bravado. 
I think we can really see that even in this exchange in the upper room with Jesus telling him you're going to deny me. Peter saying, Lord, I'll never deny you. If everyone else denies you, I won't deny you. I think in that exchange, you hear something of Peter's intensity and passion for Jesus, which I think was really, really real. He really believed what he was saying. There was something deep in him that said, I couldn't ever do that, Jesus. You're everything to me. And you get a feeling of that as the story continues later on as you read about it in different accounts. In the garden, when, um, when the Roman officers come and they come to try and arrest um, the temple guards come and there's a mob being led with torches and clubs and swords, this massive overwhelming force to come and arrest Jesus and to track him down. And Peter, if you remember in that account, pulls out a sword and he's ready to fight. He's ready to go for it. Yeah, probably impetuous Peter. As I've said before, usually the first one to open his mouth, usually to take his foot out. But he's he's there, he's ready, he's ready for action. He's determined to protect the friend and master that he really does love. And we know Jesus tells him to put his sword away. This passage that we equate with denial, even this passage read from Luke, I think we get a glimpse of Peter's love. You see, all the other disciples have scattered, as Jesus said, you know, that prophetic verse, when the, the, the shepherd has struck the sheep will, will kind of scatter. And they have. They've deserted Jesus. They've run. Except for Peter. We don't know how. Peter somehow gets himself into the middle of this courtyard of the high priest. It's a really vulnerable place, actually. He, he can't quite run from Jesus. He's there at a distance. He's wanting to be close to him. He doesn't want to completely abandon. He can't abandon his friend. There's this heart tugging him that pulls him towards Jesus. He wants to be near him. I'm not sure what his plan was. I don't think he probably had a plan, but he was there. He was there, near Jesus, as close as he could be, whilst held captive by everything around him that was going on. He loved Jesus enough that he wouldn't simply abandon him and leave him alone. Jesus was going to be carried off to some kangaroo courts and tried unjustly and illegally by his captors and haters. Peter wasn't going to leave him there on his own. He was going to be near. And so Peter is, actually, bravely in that courtyard. And yet, and yet, Peter fails. In the moment, when the moment comes, he fails. Exactly as Jesus told him he was going to fail. There's a battle waging for your soul and my soul, for your mind and my mind, all the time. And simply loving Jesus, I would suggest, isn't always going to be enough. That's what this passage is about. He did love Jesus. He was passionate. I believe he really meant what he said. And yet when push came to shove, He ran. He hid. He turned away. He abandoned Jesus in that moment. It's a really heartbreaking story. Peter does exactly what Jesus said he would. There's three things I want to just briefly kind of get out of this passage for you and for me. Firstly, this passage teaches us something really important about sin. Our sin 
teaches us the way that sin leverages us to do stuff that we really don't want to do perhaps. It leverages us towards greater failures, greater unfaithfulness. Sin which is there lurking, seemingly insignificant, trips us into greater catastrophe. But the second thing is this passage teaches us something about the infinite mercy and grace of Jesus. There's a moment where Jesus looks at Peter. And if Hollywood was filming this, I don't know how they would film that. You know, if it was me, I know in my flesh as a husband, as a father, that I told you so, look. Any of you ever given that to anyone? Told you. Didn't believe me, did you? Hmm? Yeah? Hmm? I was wrong. You were wrong. Hmm. Maybe that's just me. That's not what Jesus did. We might think, because our own sin says, that's what he would have done to me. I don't believe that's the look Jesus gave Peter. I think it was something else. The final thing I think this passage teaches us is about the the nature and the key centrality and importance of repentance and sometimes in kind of modern evangelical charismatic kind of stuff we move on from repentance it's a done job actually I think repentance is so key in the days that we live if we really want to see God move in the West I don't think we're really very good at repenting not just in our marriages and in our friendships but that's true probably as well but in our relationship with the Father. And it has catastrophic consequences. Psalm 51 says this, I love David, I love King David. He was a worship leader, he was a man after God's heart. He, he, when I get to heaven, he's going to be one of the first people on my hit list that I want to go and chat with. Seriously. But he was a man like me, who sometimes got it really badly wrong. And we see that he's a man of great passion and great love and genuinely loves God. That's what God said, isn't it? Man after my own heart. And yet we read of his catastrophic story of Bathsheba. Remember that story? You know, as if the sin of adultery wasn't bad enough, he then conspires to get her husband killed, to cover it all up and madly trying to cover one sin after another. To... It's all a mess. And Nathan the prophet comes to him and challenges him and God convicts him in a moment. You can read about that story. It's it's a fascinating account. But David was a worshipper and he was a songwriter and a psalm writer. And Psalm 51 is kind of his response in a sense to the kind of mess with Bathsheba. And, And I love it because it's so honest and earnest. And he prayed this brilliant prayer at the beginning of Psalm Uh, 51 the psalm begins for the director of music a psalm of David when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba it says this this is David's prayer it's a good prayer I'm making my prayer it goes like this from verse 1 have mercy on me O God according to your unfailing love according to your great compassion blot out my transgressions Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. He's a man who recognises that he's got the capacity to really mess it up. 
But God is a God of unfailing love and has the ability and capacity to wipe all that away. It's interesting in this passage because he uses three words. He uses the word transgressions, he uses the word iniquity, and he uses the word sin. Did you notice that? He says, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from all my sin. And in one sense, they kind of all mean the same sort of stuff, but they are different. Sin is about missing the mark. It's like if you have a test set and you don't quite get there. It's about missing the mark towards other people, not loving them in the way you should. It's about missing the mark towards God. It's about an action that you do which is wrong or a failure to act when you should have done something. Sin is the general kind of term for anything that falls short of the glory of God. Romans 3.2 says that. It's when we don't make it, when we're not good enough, when we don't do the stuff, the good that we should do. Transgression, well transgression is a slightly different word. It refers to presumptuous sin. It's kind of like the sin that you choose to intentionally do when you choose to intentionally disobey. It's the lying when you choose to lie. It's the cheating when you choose to cheat on a person, on your tax returns. It's that thing that you choose to do, choosing to sin, that's a transgression. And iniquity, well iniquity is kind of like really quite deeply rooted. It's a Hebrew word, arvain. And it it means to bend or twist or distort. Bending or twisting or distorting of God's word. Iniquity is kind of like when you repeatedly sin and choose to transgress. It's like you're bending the truth to make yourself feel better or to make your circumstances fit what you're now doing. It's what happens in society when the iniquity of kind of a, a community makes sin not appear like sin anymore because the boundaries have all shifted. And it's doing that without any sense of wrongdoing or repentance. It's what David started doing when he had sinned with Bathsheba, when he had chosen to you know, do that transgression with Bathsheba. He then thinks of a way to cover that up and to get um, Uriah killed and sends him off to battle her husband. That's iniquity. And from this passage that we read about today, we need to learn about the reality of sin, I think. Peter clearly loved Jesus. Peter was clearly brave. He was actually there. He hadn't run away. Perhaps even courageous, you could say. But that wasn't enough, being brave, being courageous, loving Jesus. Peter was fearful. Fear was somewhere lurking there. And fear got the best of him. When the moment of battle and accusation and challenge came, fear began to overwhelm him once and then twice. And in one of the accounts, it says by the third time, he starts swearing, I don't bleep, bleep, bleep even know this person. It's kind of what's implied. He just loses it completely because fear paralyzes him to the point that everything's gone. Because, why? Well, Peter was unprepared for the question that he was faced with. Servant girl staring him down, seen him on the day, perhaps maybe seen him when Jesus was ministering, and she recognised him. You were with him, you're one of the disciples. Peter's unprepared for the challenge and goes, No, 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 it wasn't, it wasn't me. And then the challenge comes again, and again a third time. Peter says, I don't even know what you're talking about. One account says, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know him. 
It's interesting, isn't it, his words? I think for Peter, fear was the seed, the little seed that was there that had never really been resolved. Covered up with bravado, covered up with a big loud voice. You know, he was probably the fisherman, oh, I'm never scared of storms. Dismissed fear rather than dealing with fear. Covered up fear rather than recognising fear was there. Avoided fear rather than addressing fear. And so fear took root and grew. Fear, fear was the seed that allowed him to deny his saviour. Satan works in that way. There's some hook, some sin, some weakness, some wedge in us so often which is the means by which we end up falling into greater sin. And Satan's always looking for those things in you and me. That's what we're told. He's prowling around. He's searching, seeking. There's that very powerful image of sin kind of like crouching at your door, looking for a way to trip you. I wonder what it is in you. I wonder if I've yielded it to God in me. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's loneliness. Maybe it's self-hatred. Maybe it's pain. Or jealousy. Or insecurity. Or defensiveness. Or isolation. may not seem like a really big thing, but it lurks. Like this hidden seed. There was a Scottish minister and evangelist called Robert Murray McChaney, and he said this, In my heart, are the seeds of every known sin. I suggest that if you don't know that about yourself, you're in danger. You know, I I say this from the front because I think it's a really wise thing. If I ever said, oh, I'd never have an affair, not me, then I'd be really worried about myself. Now, I don't want to have an affair and I... Please God, I never can't imagine having an affair. But if I ever think that's not possible for me, Lord, then that's a really dangerous place. Because I know the capacity of a heart. If I think, oh, I'd never do that, not me, maybe so, but never that. We need to recognise our own weakness and our own capacity for sin. Not because we want to kind of like beat ourselves up, but because we want to realise how much we need God's grace. That's why Jesus said to Peter and all those other disciples, pray that you enter not into temptation. It's why before they even left the upper room, he told Peter the trial that he was going to undergo and urged him and all the disciples to prepare and pray for themselves. Do you think they did that? When Jesus says pray. Do you remember when he came to them in the garden? And what happened? He finds them asleep and he says, can't you even pray with me for one hour? Don't you realise what's going to be happening? Someone very wise, a good friend of mine once said to me some few years back that, you know, talking about the problems that often we face and sometimes, I don't know about you, we get cross about things or cross about people or cross about situations and get really frustrated about them. But he said this, And it's always stayed with me. He said, Tim, the truth is, the problem out there is the problem in here. The problem out there is pretty much always the problem in here because it's in the heart, isn't it? And so we have to, I think, take really, really seriously the quest 
to continue to pursue the true, deep healing of our hearts. That's why I am utterly committed myself once, twice, more times a year to go on retreats, to go to places for encounter weekends where other people can pray and listen to God, where I'm constantly saying, Lord, will you show me in my heart areas of weakness, areas of pain, areas of unresolved stuff from my past, shame, sin, wrong choices, things that hold me back. That's why as a church we love to encourage people to go on Father Heart weekends or um, opportunities for prayer, encounter weekends. That's why we offer prayer ministry. That's why we've kind of developed this thing called the Thrive Course, which is about transforming hearts, identity restored, victorious encounters. It's about dealing with the stuff that's in here so that we can fly with God. That's why we really believe in prophetic ministry, Christian counselling, whatever opportunity you have to seriously address the challenges and questions in your heart. That's why for a bunch of men we go on the Wild at Heart um, encounter weekends where we do basic. It's all about recovering the lost ground in our heart and letting God come into those places. Men, you're going to be hearing about the new basic Wild at Heart weekend coming up in September. If you're thinking about it, don't. Just go on it. It's the best thing you can do. It's challenging. It's painful. But it's transforming. I know many of the women do incredible things on weekends and stuff as well. And it's not navel-gazing where we're just kind of looking at ourselves going... "Mm." It's saying, Lord, here am I. Will you help me? Will you transform me? It's a ruthless yielding of our heart and all those hidden corners to the spotlight of God's love. Not so that he crushes us and goes, ugh, but he reaches out with love and brings healing. Our hearts and our minds yielded to the sovereign lordship of God, to the transforming grace of the Father and to the power of the Holy Spirit. Which is why I love David's prayer, Psalm 139, he prays this, I pray, I pray that you would pray, Psalm 139, a great psalm, but verse 23, 24 says this, this is the David we heard about, who realised he was convicted by Nathan the prophet about his affair and his murder of Uriah, he prays this, search me God, know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts, see if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. That, I would suggest, is a really dangerous prayer to pray. Because if you pray and mean it, God will take you at your word. Search me, O God. I think a lot of us keep hidden corners of our hearts, hidden, not just from others around us, perhaps loved ones, but we're afraid of showing them to God and letting him in because we're ashamed. Well, we don't really want his control in some of the things. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Any of you ever have any of them? Small ones? Enormous ones? Ones where you wake up in the night, unable to go back to sleep. And in the morning you wake up and think, oh, that was silly. And you get on with your life. Have those things been resolved? Maybe the things in themselves aren't the issue, but the fact that your thought life is anxious. The Father doesn't want you to deal with those things. And this one, see if there's any offensive way in me. I mean, I could write a list, just right here, right now, that would go over a few pages of A4, and they're the ones that I'm aware of. I'm sure the Father's got loads of others. This isn't about crushing yourself, it's saying, God, I know your desire is for me to be better, 
to be transformed. That's his promise, to transform us from one stage of glory to the next. Peter, I would suggest, hadn't prayed this prayer. And so he was caught in that moment. He loved Jesus, but it wasn't enough to resist the particular sin, this particular desire, and this spectacular failure that resulted. I think he loved perhaps Jesus more than anyone else there, but it wasn't enough. He needed God's spirit, he needed his grace, he needed transformation, and the great news is that God wanted to do that. You and me, we all need to know God's grace and mercy. Which takes us to the second and third part of this story. Because what we learn here, and it's beautiful, is the unrelenting mercy and grace of God. Luke tells us in verse 61, right as Peter's denying Jesus for the third time, we're told that Jesus turned and looked at him. I said that earlier. And I think it was a look, I'm sure of pain, but I suspect it was a look of love, look of mercy, grace, no judgment. Because he loved Peter and he knew what was happening in Peter's heart. In that moment as Jesus was being tried and preparing to bear the sins of the world on the cross, he makes time to give one glance to this stumbling little disciple. And in that moment he reaches out with eyes, like I said, not of anger or recrimination, but I think of eyes of mercy and friendship and love. He was showing Peter there is a way back from here. This is not it. This is not the end for you, my friend. Somehow Jesus finds time to save one stumbling, tormented soul as he's stepping towards saving the whole world on the cross. That's the mystery of God, a God who so loved the world. That's the big one, isn't it? So loved the world. But change that for your name. God who so loved Wayne. God who so loved Sarah that he gave his only son. The God who so loved you that he had you in mind as he hung on the cross. That's the mystery of the sovereignty of God. And the minute that Jesus and Peter's eyes met, what does Peter do? Well, he remembers the word that Jesus said, you will deny me. He's taken him back to that word, not to crush him, but to reveal the true brokenness of Peter's heart and to give him the opportunity to repent. Peter's taken back, I won't forget you, I won't forget you, Lord, I won't deny you. Yeah, you will, Peter. It's mercy, it's love, it's grace. We, we hear in Romans 2.4 that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. Jesus says to Peter, pray that you might, may not enter into temptation. And then he gives Peter that look when Peter's forgotten everything. But I think that look, you see that he breaks down with hell. He weeps uncontrollably because there's a breaking moment in him when all he truly is inside is exposed. All his failure, all his weakness, and the fear that overwhelmed him suddenly is here. He can't bluster anymore. He can't deny it anymore. He can't cover up for it anymore. He can't be too busy anymore to recognise it. No, he's a man consumed by fear. Fear of others, fear of man, fear of what they think, fear of the future, fear of death. Maybe all understandable fears, but they are the thing that matter more in that moment than Jesus. And that's sin. And as it's presented right in front of his eyes, 
he breaks down and weeps. But that leads to repentance rather than self-destruction, which leads us to our final part, and I'm going to close with this. The need for repentance. This message is all about repentance, this passage in a sense, as he looks into Peter's eyes and the Holy Spirit begins a work in that moment. Peter is changed, he's broken. That's what sin does, particularly when we recognise the sin in us. It does break us. And broken things need to be fixed. And the only thing that can truly fix them is Jesus. And that's how he does it for us. You know, finding faith, becoming a Christian, doesn't begin with our hard work or our sweaty attempts to be better and more holy. It begins, I would suggest, with the work of the Holy Spirit exposing our brokenness and our need of Jesus and drawing us to him with eyes of grace and love where we begin to dare to believe that Jesus loves us despite all that and that maybe there's a way through this to better, to healing, to transformation. True repentance begins when the Holy Spirit is made alive in us and God's word is made alive in us. His ways, his works, it's like held up to a mirror to us and we look at it and we see ourselves and there's a sense of horror but instead of being crushed by our uselessness and our filthiness, we encounter a God who says, I want to transform you and love you and heal you. There's this moment of conviction, a moment of revelation. I'm sure you've heard it said before, conviction is not the same as condemnation. See, when God convicts us of our sin, when he draws attention to something in our hearts, there's that sinking feeling or that sense of, oh, that's awful. Oh, Lord, how can I change? A desire to see transformation, that's conviction. It's like a scalpel that a surgeon uses that's so accurate to cut out the wrong roots. Whereas condemnation is from the enemy. Condemnation has nothing to do with God. Condemnation is like a mallet hitting you. You're rubbish, you're filthy, you're useless. Look how awful you are. Look at that sin, you're disgusting. You're such a failure. That is not the voice of God, that's not conviction. That's Satan who wants to destroy. And what happens to Peter in this moment, there's a conviction of who he is, who he truly is, and there's a brokenness that comes with that. And the fruit of it, well, I said, he weeps bitterly for the sin that he recognises in his life. It's almost like he's able to look at himself and see what he's become, see who he truly is. But God doesn't leave him in that place. Jesus doesn't leave him in that place. We know the rest of the story. We know that Jesus comes to him later and loves him and draws him back in and actually speaks three words, do you love me? It's like he was undoing Peter's denial, do you love me? You know I love you. Do you love me Peter? Jesus, you know I love you. And when Jesus asked that third time, do you love me? I'm sure Peter was broken by it and remembers his denial three times and yet Jesus isn't doing it to punish him. Jesus is doing it to say, I know you love me. And I, I see you. This is a new beginning for you. The past undone, a hope and a future. And this incredible man becomes the man on which the church is, begins to be built. There's a difference between remorse for being caught in sin and godly sorrow that leads to repentance. Peter wasn't just gutted that he was caught out. Peter was broken. Repentance means turning around. 
and leaving that old life and walking towards God. It's a change of behaviour, it's a change of everything in you and that's what the Gospel offers us. That's what Jesus offers us. Not just a chance to kind of be slightly better than we were yesterday and to maybe be slightly less sinful. No, to be changed, to be transformed, forgiven and empowered by the Holy Spirit to be different. Life changed. That's what God offers and that's what God longs for us. So what about you and me tonight? Well, I just want to invite, not just tonight, but every day, Holy Spirit, will you show me those seeds in my life that can lead to greater brokenness? And will you root them out? Will you help me through trusted friends, through soul group people who know me and love me, who will speak into my life? I want to ask you, do you have someone who you know and love who will ask you really difficult questions? Because if you haven't, you need them. God uses brothers and sisters to speak into our lives as iron sharpens iron. We need, we, we need people. I've got people, several people, two or three, who can ask me absolutely any question. And when they have asked me those questions, their last question is, Tim, have you lied about any of your answers? Because that's the kind of accountability we need. Where we, we, we long for one another to grow by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I constantly want to say, Lord, if there are things in my heart, use my friends. Stuff that I don't see, because the truth is, we're often blinded, aren't we? A bit like Peter was. I don't think he, was, he would have been aware that he was fearful. We're often blinded to the stuff that's inside, but other people perhaps see it, and we need to have trusted friends who really love us, who can speak words of encouragement, sometimes words of challenge too, through the power of the Holy Spirit and with his wisdom and grace. And the great thing is, when that sin is exposed, it's not to make us feel rubbish and that we go on some downer, it's so that God can remove it, so that we can be healed and transformed more and more into the likeness of Christ. Jesus has said to the disciples in the upper room that night, apart from me you can do nothing. Which is why he tells them to pray. Pray. Apart from you, Lord, I can't do anything. I need your strength, I need your favour, I need your grace, I need your wisdom, I need your power. I need the beautiful, shining light of your spirit into those dark, hidden corners where I'm afraid, or I'm angry, or I'm unforgiving, things that I'm not even aware of. And the amazing thing about God is he doesn't kind of whack them all at once. When I look at my life, it's a journey of healing. God's taken different things in different seasons when I was ready and bought healing. And I think probably it will be until the day I die, God will be exposing more to bring more and more healing and more and more transformation. Jesus said, you can't serve God and mammon, you can only have one master. And I think the challenge to the church in these days is, Lord, we want you to be our master. We don't want to kind of share our heart with other things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. I have to put my hand up and say, Lord, there are days when I know that isn't true about me, when I don't love you with all my heart, when my loyalty is split in different places, or when I'm too busy to love you with all my heart, soul, mind and strength. I'm not loving you with all my strength. My, my strength is over here doing this, that and the other. Not necessarily sinful things, but they're ahead of you, Lord. Help me on that journey. Give me wisdom. May I know your grace, and may I know the look of Jesus to sustain me at times when I feel like I'm failing. of our journey towards the cross and it's not an easy or cheerful or woohoo passage but I think it's a really good place to start so um, 
I'd like us just to pray and be really still. I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit. In a minute, I'm going to invite the band to kind of finish with a song too. But I just want us to just pause. And I pray those words from Psalm 139. And I pray that you'd be able to make them your own prayer. You can do that by just saying, Amen, 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 when I've said them in your own heart. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. expose our sin those seeds of sin some small, some big some deeply buried from the past some lurking that repeatedly trip us up some that we're not even aware of I know you don't simply expose those sins to crush us but your desire is to lead us in the way everlasting the journey away from that sin in a different direction that doesn't lead to death and despair and pain and grief and sorrow and ashes but it leads to joy and healing and laughter and freedom extravagance and dancing and rejoicing it doesn't lead to the valley of the shadow of death but it leads to the mountain tops of celebration So where we're afraid, may your perfect love cast out fear. Where we're full of doubt, tossed around by the waves of uncertainty, would you come and give us faith that's unshakable? Where there's despair, would you give us unquenchable hope? Where there's envy or jealousy or anger, would you give us joy and love? And where there's loneliness and isolation, would you help us to embrace and to be known as part of a family where you settle us with the love of brothers and sisters? Holy Spirit, search our hearts. Where there are unclean ways and ways of thinking, negative self-talk, pain or brokenness, will you bring your transforming power and healing? Lord, where there's sin, and we call it what it is, sin, we say we're sorry, we repent, we turn away, We don't want to live in that place anymore, but we want your healing touch to transform us. And we know it's not by might, not by power, not by our own sweaty efforts, but it's by your Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. The cross of Christ, on which all our iniquity was laid on him. 
He who was sinless carried all our shame, bore our brokenness and by his stripes we are healed. Christ who died, Christ who rose again, Christ who will come again. We worship you and we thank you for the cross. We yield our hearts to you, not just this day, but every day. Help us on that journey.